Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode of Calculated Chaos. Today I'm here with Mr. Connor O'Keefe. Connor, how are you keeping? Good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for coming on this morning, on this uh, slightly gloomy Saturday morning. Um, so, do you want to give a quick, quick introduction to someone who hasn't met you before? Uh, yeah, uh, I suppose I'm a ultramarathon runner and kind of a mental well-being advocate uh, from Cork. Um, so an ultramarathon runner is basically anything that's over a marathon in distance is an ultramarathon. So a marathon distance is 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. And the runs that I kind of like to do, the race that I like to do are 100 miles, 162 kilometers or 200 miles, 324 kilometers. Okay, so I suppose let's kind of go back to the start because obviously to anyone who even thinks a marathon is a crazy accomplishment that that would be like a lifelong goal for them you went and just kind of blew that out of the water altogether where did it start what was your athletic background as a younger person or were you into running that's a good question um i started off well i started off like every kid just trying fucking everything you know yeah. every single thing that kind of came my way i was like i want to do that i want to do that and that's kind of like how every kind of kid starts out their kind of sporting career is Unless they have a parent that's like, you're playing football, yeah. then they'll try out everything. Like, you know, so um, I tried out Taekwondo as a kid. I did swimming as a kid. I did uh, rugby as a kid because I started to gain an awful lot of weight as a, as a young fella. You know, as some young fellas do, like, you know, you, you, you yeah. pile on a couple of pounds there, like, you know, before puberty. And uh, um, I was just a big guy. So I was like, you know what? I'll give rugby an old bash because that's where the big lads go. And then um, I went to school then for an, an, in, to an actual rugby playing secondary school and I found out that I was only strictly average at rugby um, right. because all the other lads were just, just athletically, they were ahead in terms of like their, uh, in terms of how far along they had gone puberty and all that. And mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, maybe I have to rethink this a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so... I, I ended up losing a load of weight when I was in school just because, like, I was just sick of being the fat kid, really, like, you know, and uh, just wanted to kind of, you know, um, change things up a bit. And when I did that, in a roundabout way, I kind of got into mountaineering. Mm. And I ended up climbing Mount Kilimanjaro when I was 17. Wow. And um, I climbed Kilimanjaro. And uh, when I came back from that, it was the weirdest sensation ever. It was like, it was the first time that I think I really felt like I was actually depressed. It sounds so strange, like to, to, to think about it in that way. But when I came back from Kilimanjaro, I was like, you know, I'm after losing all this weight. I'm like, you know, this new person and I'm after conquering Africa. I get into the, uh, the highest point of Africa. You know, I should feel unreal. And when I got back to the kind of normality of like the leaving cert and yeah. preparations, it was kind of a hard thing to take, so it kind of kept me looking. And then I finally came across Siam Warriors um, Muay Thai kickboxing gym. And um, I became a Thai boxer, and it kind of consumed my life then from when I was in my teenage years all the way into my kind of early to mid-twenties. Wow. Okay. And um, what? Do you, so let's say with the guards, your weight loss journey, because a lot of teenagers don't do it correctly. They end up starving themselves and under eating. Did you do it in a very drastic manner, or did you do it kind of in a kind of as controlled way, or what way did you go about it? I was um, typically dogmatic. Um, okay. I was in the gym every single day. I had no idea what I was doing, only that I was 
you know, working out mm. and uh, probably caused more harm than actually, you know, what good it did me. Um, dieting, I don't think I did it like as hard as some people do it these days because I just didn't have the knowledge really to be honest with you, Dara. Like, yeah. you know, I just didn't know what to eat. You know, like uh, uh, when I was Thai boxing and if I wanted to lose weight for a weigh-in for a fight, I yeah. uh, like I know now that you know what I have to do. Like you know, um, like if I want if I want to cut proper weight, I cut my water weight and all these kind yeah. of things or whatever you know. So I didn't know all that back then. So I was just kind of like eating healthily, you know, like mm. whatever whatever healthily means to a sixteen-year-old lad, like you know. Um, so I just changed up my diet stopped eating as much rubbish as I was eating because I used to eat a lot of rubbish like a lot of crappy foods like so um no I wasn't um I don't think I was as bad as as you know I suppose some people do know with the knowledge they have these days you know yeah and then with Kilimanjaro obviously at 17 that's a, a big undertaking for someone at that age what kind of obviously I said you obviously said you kind of fell into a bit of a depression afterwards but like was there any, in hindsight, 2020, looking back, was there any huge takeaways you kind of took from that Kilimanjaro trip? Because that sounds life-changing as a young person. Absolutely. There was a lot of takeaways. Like, I, I feel like just because I felt so down when I, when I came back that it didn't really take away from the experience, really, you know. Um, if anything, what was causing me to be depressed was I was after having such a... Um, such an experience, you know, outside of the normality of everyday life that certain things that were important to me just weren't important to me anymore. You know, it was like I had seen how the other side of the world lives and I also saw, you know, the expanse of the world as well and that it wasn't just, you know, Cork City, you know, it wasn't just Cork. And, and it, that was kind of, that was actually hard for me to process as a 17-year-old. I think I... I, I you know, I always thought on a kind of a higher plane of thinking, um, even from a young age, like, you know, I'd always question my teachers when I was eight, nine years old, you know, how, you know, why they were in charge and why I had to do what they said and all of these things, you know, I'd always question things on a different level. And, uh, you know, I just, when I got back from Kilimanjaro, I was kind of like, I just didn't know if things meant as much to me, uh, you know, things that should have made, made, you know, meant something to me, like, you know, jobs and job titles and, you know, getting the right course and leaving cert and all of these yeah. things it didn't necessarily, you know, feed into my life, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I feel like I got, I was, um, like, in it, that was the, I suppose, the cultural aspect of what I took from Kilimanjaro or that trip. But the physical aspect of it, I don't think I even realized until... I actually like got into college. When I got into college, I realized that like I had an ability, like when I got into college and I started to really, really box like on, on a serious level, like when I was, you know, in the top of the, of the country at, at it, I really, you know, knew that I had started my foundation of this kind of willingness to persist, even when I was like absolutely fucking shag tired. Mm. And I, the last thing that I wanted to do was just get out into the car and drive over to training and go run in the rain and spar with lads that were bigger and stronger than I was and do all of these things because where it kind of started from was on my last night in Kilimanjaro, my last night, the last climb, anybody that's done Kilimanjaro, it's, look, it's not, you know, life-changingly difficult, but the last night's climb 
is a test. You know, it is a test. You've been on the mountain for about three and a half days. Um, you're at about five and a half thousand meters. Um, and you're going you're gonna to push to just under 6,000 meters that day. And you start in the middle of the night and it's absolutely freezing cold. And at 17, I had absolutely, I had never experienced anything like this. The cold, the fatigue I had, the altitude sickness that I had, I had never experienced anything like that before. So when I actually got there, I think that there was a, a kind of a crossroads almost when I was halfway up, I was sitting down on a rock and I was actually getting sick blood and I was really, really not having a good time. Um, my hands had frozen to my walking poles. You know, I was, I was, I was a bit ill-equipped like physically and in terms of my gear mm. and my, um, the, uh, the tour guide, the, the, the guide that was guiding us up the mountain with the charity, um, Graham was his name. He was a former Royal Marines commando, former mm. like, UK Special Forces. And he kind of got down. He was a very, very soft-spoken guy. He had one glass eye as well. He was very kind of like, you know, very intimidating-looking figure. But he kind of said to me in a very matter-of-fact way, you know, if you don't get up and start walking, Connor, you know, I'm going to have to take you off the mountain and your claim is done and uh, mm. you know, you're finished and I, right then and there I just got up off the side of the rock and just started putting one foot in front of the other until I got to the top and when yeah. I got to the top just washed over with euphoria but it was kind of regardless of how it ended and how I you know whether I got to the top or not it was like I had been asked I like my my mind had been asked a question how kind of bad do you want to do it really? Like, you know, for want of being like cliche about it, how bad do you want to finish it? You know, you've yeah. come all the way over here. You took a nine and a half hour, 10 hour flight into Kenya. You took an 11 and a half hour bumpy bus through into Tanzania. And you, you know, you unpacked all your stuff and you've got, you've, you know, you've made it all up here. You've, you've been on the mountain for three and a half days. Do you want to finish it or do you want to go home? And you make that decision there, you know, and that was, it was just like that when I was in college and I actually dropped out of college in my final year of college for about three and a half months. And there was about a month and a half, two months left until the exams. And I decided, you know what, I'll just go back. And it was the same mechanism that I applied on Kilimanjaro was like, how bad do you want to finish and get your law degree and, you know, have that as, you know, part of your, the building block of your life. And so I just put in 14 hour days during college studying every single day getting up at the crack of dawn going to the bed when it's you know when it's blackout and every single day doing those uh those days but it started from from thai boxing and it was uh, well it started from kilimanjaro and it was nurtured in thai boxing and then i, I didn't even really touch base with it until i got into running wow and just one thing i want to touch on with kilimanjaro just as a younger person because I think in the last few years, there's been a lot of talk of kind of making sports for kids non-competitive, not keeping score, not keeping track, kind of letting them participate. But clearly there was always something inside of you that kind of said, you always had that extra level of mental, which people don't really talk a lot about in physical sports, I find. Um, do you think that if you hadn't been pushed as a minor with regard to sports, that maybe that would have, possibly would have actually hampered that? Or do you think that competitive sport, like people, or kids at a younger age should be let to be competitive and keep track of scores so that they push themselves that extra bit further and the people that do put the hours in do excel at the sports? I think that the argument for uh, competitive sports is far more um, 
has a lot more weight than than making uh, sports non-competitive mm-hmm. because sport means something different to every single person you know mm-hmm. and i feel like you know certain people will be completely ambivalent to it and they'll just you know like ah oh, sport is sport you know I'll, you know watch the footy on the sunday or whatever the case may be and, and and that's that and some people sport is their lives and sport is just like it gives them some sort of a compass in which to kind of navigate through their lives you know and, and i know people on both ends of that spectrum you know I feel that where kids are concerned and where it's like small kids and things like that, they have to be taught and not just in a throwaway manner. They have to be taught about the implications of, of sport and of, of competing. There's a winner. There's a loser. You know, just because you lose today doesn't mean that you're going to lose every single day. Just because you win today doesn't mean that you have the right to lord that over the person you beat and mm-hmm. all of these things. That's, those are lessons that are kind of taught to us, Dara, to be honest, like later on in life, you know what I mean? Where we just learn these things through experience and, you know, through looking at how other people act and maybe looking how, you know, sports people, you know, adult sports people act and, and things like that. And that's why it's so, you know, that's why when people talk about sports people as role models, I really do believe they are role models because you're as an eight or nine year old kid, you're, you know, let's say you're a Man United fan. They're getting rarer and rarer uh, by the day. Uh, let's say you're a Man United fan and you're looking at Rashford and he gives the finger to the ref. Yeah. You know, that's that's the type of thing that you're going to put out into the world that that's okay to act like that. Whereas, mm. I suppose it's our responsibility as parents and teachers and things like that to, 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 to tell kids about the aspects behind competitive sport. Not just, this is competitive or this is not competitive. Mm-hmm. We should we should teach them about because it's a I suppose it's a microcosm of life. You know, you're competing in life all the time. You know, you're competing in life for you know the right girlfriend or the job or whatever the case be. You're always competing with other people. Um, it's not going to go away. You know, if you go and hide under a rock, it's not going to go away. You're you're gonna you're gonna face it in other arenas. You know what I mean? Just because yeah. you get rid of it in sport doesn't mean it's gone from life. So I feel like competitive sport i would give i would say that the argument for having competitive sport is stronger than than not having competitive sport but it has to be structured and taught and it has to be you know like kids are amazing because they're such sponges of uh, of um of information mm-hmm. but if they're not given the right information they can't learn properly yeah no totally totally agree and then i suppose you said you fell into a bit of a depression during leaving cert, but clearly saying you went and did law in college means that you still got good points at the end of your leaving cert. How was that battle? Because I feel like a lot of people do really fight with that during leaving cert with their mental health, physical health, and then trying to ultimately do this big exam at the end and perform at their very best, even though under high stress. So how did you kind of balance that? Oh man, like I was the biggest class clown in the entire world. I'm fairly sure I'm up there with like, probably have a record for getting suspended i got like i think i got suspended in the teens like 14 times or something like i was i was a terrible um i was a do you know what i was like um i had a chip on my shoulder i think you know when i went when i got into school i was like i like my father's a soldier you know and my father like would have been an authoritarian like an authoritative figure in the household you know and maybe i just didn't want to have that in school so when I when I went into school, I was, you know, I was butting heads with teachers all the time. And I didn't actually really cop that. When I also came back from Kilimanjaro, 
I saw these kids, they, they had passed a law in uh, Tanzania that if you wanted to attend school, you had to wear a uniform. And some uniform, some families would only, would have three kids with one uniform. So they'd each get like a specific day that they could go to school. So they do it in three day rotations or whatever. And when I got back, I just had this new vigor for education. No teacher had ever tried, not, not, not necessarily that they, that, that, uh, that um, you know, that I, I, they had tried and I had not taken it in. No one had tried to actually develop in my young mind the actual um, the the importance of education. You know, and that's and like I have been told a million times, oh, it's so important to get an education. If someone actually sat me down, even one hour every fortnight or month, and actually talked me through about you know what what education should mean to you and how important it actually is. I feel like I would have had a lot easier time during school. Then again, I might not have. I might have just been an absolute bollocks again. Still, like you know. But yeah. the, so what I what I um, what I discovered was when I got back from Kilimanjaro was I had one year left in school. I was just I was just going into to sixth year, and I gave it everything, but it didn't. I fell short of where I wanted to be. So I actually had to repeat my leaving cert. So I repeated oh. my leaving cert. Um, the next year after I repeated it and. I got the points that I wanted. Well, I actually got the points for occupational therapy and yeah. I ended up getting my second choice, um, which was law because the, the occupational therapy was like 505 points. I got 505 points and then it, um, it like went up by 15 points or something like that. And I, I couldn't get in. So I just basically fell into law, man, just absolutely out of nowhere really. And I was like, Jesus, you know, we, we'll give it a lash, you know, and we'll see what the story is, you know, so I just gave it a lash and continued to give it a lash for however many years and finished out with the degree and that was it really. Okay, and then did you feel then when you got the degree, so are you currently practicing a lawyer or, or, or no? No, I finished up, uh, like that's another thing that I learned about, about when, I, when I finished up my law degree was how little people go on to actually practice law when they have a law degree. Yeah, there was about, I think there was about 10% of my class went on to get their FE, FE1 exams, to get their exams to become oh. a litigator, like, you know. Mm -hmm. um, some people fell into different aspects of law, like taxation law and things like that, but the business world and the world of marketing swallowed up a lot of my class. Okay, makes sense. And then I suppose when did, so you're saying you're doing Muay Thai and you're getting boxed into a high level, kind of during your late teens, early 20s when you would have been in college, then when, when did running come on the scene? Because obviously for cutting weight and training Muay Thai and boxing, obviously cardio is a huge part of that and doing your road miles is so important. It's a huge part of that culture. When did running kind of maybe stand out to you or when did it distinguish itself from the Muay Thai and the boxing? Um, when I was boxing, like, you know, I was, I was quite, like, I was quite slight. I was, like, slighter than I am now, like, you know, and I'm quite thin now. Well, not, not very, very thin, but, you know, like, I used to be very, very slight and um, kind of gangly. And um, I was always kind of like, when we when used to head out, leave the gym, and we do, like, our six-kilometer run around the city, um, like, nearly every day, um, I used to always kind of, like, finish first, and I'd always be kind of, like, 
head of the pack and I always thought, felt like Joe running was kind of naturally came to me like you know I was just um, I, I just had the, the body for it I don't know where it came from it wasn't always the way when I was a fat kid in school, Jesus Christ, I hated running. It was the worst thing ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, if I heard that there was a bleep test, like I would be like, oh, I'm actually sick. Uh, I actually can't do this. So I was yeah. just completely shirking responsibility. Um, but running came out of, I suppose, the quenching of the fire of, of like boxing. You know, I, yeah. I like when, when boxing kind of came to this situation where, um, I could get into it if you wanted me to get into it, uh, like about how, how Thai boxing kind of came to an end for me. Um, yeah, basically, basically, in um, I was uh, once I started in 2008, I was like, all I wanted to do was fight for an Irish title. You know, that's all I wanted. I, when I first day I came in, I was like, that's it. This is my sport. Like, there's nothing else. I'm never doing anything else. I'm never going on a rugby pitch again. I'm never like doing normal British boxing. I'm never doing anything just high boxing and I just fell in love with it and then that love affair turned into kind of obsession and for the next five years I just trained and fought everybody that I could in the country and finally got an opportunity in 2013 then while I was actually still in college to um to fight for an Irish title and uh I ended up getting you know getting the fight that I really wanted as well because this guy was the best guy in the country and if I beat him I'd have been the best guy in the country and um I was just incredibly excited about the whole thing the fight night came and we fought ridiculously hard it was a, it was an, a tremendous fight and the last minute of the last round I um I got knocked unconscious I got hit uh, with a left hook and I got knocked unconscious and I was just so emotionally physically mentally devastated uh after that loss i feel like my love of thai boxing basically really started to trickle out of my of my mind and my body mm -hmm. then um, i wasn't set up for it I, I, I didn't have the resilience you know i i had resilience in terms of pushing myself but i just didn't have that resilience in terms of taking that failure taking that mm -hmm. setback you know and I look. I'm. I'm. I've kind. Of, I've come to the point in my life now where I'm looking for areas in which to fail. I'm looking for areas in which I can, you know, push to that to that limit where I I don't finish or I don't. I'm not able to complete it. But right there, I was just. I wasn't. I wasn't mentally capable of it. And I went on to fight some more, um, for the next kind of year and a half, two years, and won some, lost some, but just didn't have the didn't have that love anymore. I was like, it was like I was fighting for the survival of my love for Thai boxing. You know, I was like, mm. I was trying to so bad to just be where I was when I was that like, you know, that 17 year old kid that walked into the gym and just got hit with this smell of like sweat and hard work and mm. all the lads hitting the pads and, and slapping the leather pads and things like that. And I just, I couldn't find it anymore, you know? And um, after I'd finished Thai boxing, it was I, I. It had given me such, as I said earlier, given me such a compass of my life, of where my life was going to go, and like structured it. Like to be honest with you, it took over my life so much. I ne I didn't go on a leave insert holiday. I didn't go to you know out on college nights out or freshers week or rag week or you know college balls, anything like that, because it just didn't fit in with what I wanted. Well, and I had such a drive in me that to just be the best boxer that I could that I just I, I just skipped out on an awful lot of that aspect of life. And then after I finished Thai boxing, I was like, 
we can do all of these things now. You know, we can do all these things. We can go out and get smashed and go out and try and chase girls and, you know, do all these things that other people do. Mm. And so I did that basically for a couple of years. And um, it like that was kind of one of those points in time in my life where I was like, I had, I had this freedom that I had kind of been longing for for so long. But then when I got it, I realized that it was just a lot of shite. That, you know, mm. I just... I realized that like, you know, this way of life just wasn't for me. You know, I wasn't, I don't think my mind was built for that. Although I gave a good, good lash at it. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like, like, we, we, you know, in Ireland, it's very, very easy to get caught up in that culture because there's always company for you. You know, there's always one of your friends that's willing to go out and, you know, there's, there's always something. And I did that for a good long while. And then I felt like, you know, I was in this hamster wheel of like, you know, I had gotten a job out of college. I was earning a, a lot of money, way more money than I thought I was going to earn at 24 years of age. And I um, ended up giving half of it to the barman and, ha- and the other half into like clothing shops in town and things like that, just buying mm-hmm. stuff that I thought was really important. Uh, long, I, I had lost the sight of all the lessons I had learned as a teenager. I hadn't, you know, fostered that that um i suppose that gratitude that i had um when i first came back from kilimanjaro and those years afterwards and i just kind of was spiraling man i was just spiraling kind of you know on this kind of a didn't know where i was going kind of thing so i just said you know what i'm going to quit my job and i'm going to move abroad so i moved to canada mm-hmm. just like a lot of people do you know you get to that kind of point where you're like i'm you you look for the simplest um the simplest solution to a problem and the simplest solution to me was i'm having this bad time in cork where i'm just living the same thing every single week and i'm not getting anywhere and i'm not enjoying it and i'm feeling terrible i'm depressed all the time i'll move out of cork and then it'll be different yeah no it's absolute bullshit you know you're just like you're, you're 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 pandering to yourself you know what i mean it's it's um when i when i landed in canada i just lived my cork life in canada Except mm. this time I smoked an awful lot more weed because it was legal over there. And I just used, I just got into this t- way of life where I was like living like this transient, you know, I was just living like this transient, you know, um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, like drifter almost type job. Where it's like, you know, I was just working this job, um, laying turf actually, like on golf courses and uh, on uh, in like people's back gardens and things like that. And then just drinking all the money I could. Um, and it was just kind of one of those times where you're like, this will teach me lessons. Like, you know, I knew it was going to teach me lessons. Yeah. And it has. It, Jesus, it has taught me lessons, you know. Um, but it didn't, it didn't supply what I was looking for. When I left to go to Canada, I was like, you know, this is like I was like this, you know, Italian peasant where I was like getting on the boat to Ellis Island and, you know, getting over to New York into this big land of opportunity. And then I ended up just smoking and drinking myself into the, into, you know, every single day. So I was just, I, 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 when I was over there, then I got this kind of urge. Um, I got a, I got revenue. The revenue gave me a big payout in tax. I had been overtaxed for about three years and they gave me a couple of grand and I was like, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to reignite this Thai boxing flame and I'm going to go back and I'm going to move to Thailand and I'm going to live in Thailand and I'm going to fight and train in the Thai boxing gym. And that's exactly what I did. And I stopped off at home on the way. I got a call from my doctor and the doctor said, 
Oh, um, Connor, remember we did a scan on your brain there uh, before you went off to Canada. And I was like, oh, yeah, geez, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, well, we got something there we need to talk to you about. And then, I, I, as it turns out, I actually had a benign cyst in my brain. It was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's a few different layers of kind of different liquids and, and, and barriers within your actual like brain, between your brain and your skull. Mm-hmm. And one part had kind of basically leaked into another part. It, it, it wasn't actually very, uh, you know, something to be concerned about really, only that they said, don't tie box because, you know, we don't have a clue what will happen if you get another concussion. So I went to Thailand anyway. <laughs> because I was a young fella and I was headstrong and I was stubborn and I felt like I knew better and I felt like to be honest which I was clutching at this this you know getting back to this life that I had before and um so I went over there I fought two times uh I won the first one and I lost the second one and I really just feared for my brain so much that I just had to go and um then when I got back to Ireland, um, I, I stopped off in, in Vietnam and gave it a good go at drinking myself to half the debt over in Vietnam as well. Mm-hmm. And got back over to Ireland penniless uh, with no kind of direction on which, you know, where I wanted to go and fell back into the same thing. Got the same job with the same um, place and started earning money and just forgot completely about the ideals that I, you know, I had or I wanted to figure out and kind of came to that point where I was like, Jesus Christ, all I want to be is an athlete again. You know, I just want to be an athlete again. And I just, I was just searching for this, you know, this something that was going to come about and like get me back onto this athletic kind of way of life. And, um, I just said, well, so what, um, in running, people don't really train punchy in the head too often. So uh, maybe we'll just go running. And I just started running and I said, do you know what, I'll run my first marathon. And I booked my first marathon, Cork City Marathon. And I did that. Um, half drank, half trained myself to the start line. Uh, once I finished the marathon itself, I was like, oh, Jesus. I was, like, I was crying and everything. My dad was there. And I was like, oh, I'm about to do my first marathon and all this kind of crap. And... Uh, Went out, got absolutely stoicious. Then that night, um, got absolutely plastered and woke up the next morning. All of the, you know, all of the kind of, I suppose, the achievement that I had of the, the marathon was long gone. Um, and I was just like left again, like wondering, you know, fuck it, I'm back in the same boat. Like, you know, I'm, I'm half-assing these things and I just don't, I don't half-ass stuff. And I was half-assing this, this running. I was half-assing everything i was doing yeah. and I, I came across a guy do you know a guy called david doggins he's on i came across his his uh interview his podcast with joe rogan and i said to myself you know like obviously you know like he's a very you know he's an incredibly tough individual inspirational guy like you know but but and all of the achievements that he had had he had, that he had collected over the years i was like this is impressive but what's really impressing me is how honest he is about all the times where he didn't give a shit and where he made bad decisions. He took the, he took the get out of jail free card. He took the easy way out. And I thought to myself, that's, you know, that's, that's what I've done a million times over, you know? And mm-hmm. I felt like that there was some sort of a, uh, there was some sort of a, you know, like I could, I could have this personal renaissance, you know, I could have this rebirth, you know what I mean? And, uh, so I was sitting down. This is, this is actually how I became an ultra runner. And this is actually, like the most like pe- people don't believe me when I say it because it's so stupid, right? 
um, I was sitting down at lunch with a buddy of mine and I said, I, he also had, had seen the Joe Rogan podcast with David Goggins. We were both just enamored with the guy, you know, and we were just uh, talking away and we were just like, I was like, Mark, we should run a hundred mile run, man. You know, see if there's a hundred mile run on in Ireland and, and we'll, we'll do it. Like, And I think Mark, my buddy, who's another, he's actually, he is an ultramarathon runner. He's, he's run a good few ultramarathons as well. No, since... Like, he hadn't even run a marathon. And uh, he looked up on his phone. I think he thought, like, maybe I thought, you know, sometime next year, you know, um, at that point. And he was like, yeah, there's one here in, uh, in Connemara. Um, it's in six weeks. And I was like, yeah, book it. We're doing it. And six weeks later, we were up in Connemara at the Connemara 100-mile ultramarathon. No way. Uh, that was it. Like, that was actually how it happened. You know, we, we like, I was about... I was about two stone heavier than I, than I am now. I was like completely, you know, I had really, really hurt myself doing the marathon. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I thought, you know what? It'll be grand. I've ran a marathon. It's only four times that. And I have 30 hours to do it. Be grand. You know, what's the worst that could fucking happen? The worst happened anyway. Um, basically, we showed up at, the, uh, at this race, you know, and we were like, I can't actually understate how little business we had being at this race like you know the neck of us that we thought that we'd be able to do a hundred mile run and all of these like diligently trained ultra marathon runners like showing absolute you know you know commitment to their craft just looking upon two of us going these fucking city boys from cork like are just going to get their ass handed to them like by this by this countryside like you know what i mean Mm. and um they were kind of right, to be honest. They were kind of fucking dead right because we got to like mile 55. And I always say this to people when I do my, like, my talks with companies or whatever the case may be, you will have your mile 55 at some point in time in your life. It might not be on a run. It might not even be anything to do with sport, but you have your mile 55. And I've had my mile 55. I had a, a, a I suppose, version of mile 55 when I had that that chat with Graham near the top of Kilimanjaro mm. where you have to decide how bad you actually want it, how bad you actually want to finish something and how bad you actually want to see through the conviction you had the first day you thought about it. And that's the thing that I always say to people, remember the first day you thought about doing something class, you d- thought about doing something unbelievable. Let's say now you're sitting there with your mate and you go, John, you know we should do, we should rent a car and go do the Trans-Siberian fucking highway or whatever the case be mm. and drive that and experience all of those different cultures and countries and all these type of things. And then it kind of goes, yeah, we should. And then a week or two passes and I say, like, do you remember that? Actually, we said, we said that about going to do this thing. Blah, blah. Yeah, 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 we should do that. And then it fades and fades and fades. And then you finally get to that chance, let's say two years later or whatever the case may be, and you and your friend are on this, this, this highway and, and then you have your car and a tire fucking blows up or something like that happens mm-hmm. that's kind of giving you this signal to turn back and go home and not finish out what you, you, know, you started. Think back to that first day when you were sitting down in that cafe and wherever you were and you thought about that time that you wanted to do this and the, the mm. conviction and the vigor that was inside in your mind. I thought about that when I was at mile 55, my body was absolutely broken in half. I couldn't, I could barely move. Um, I was sitting down at the edge of my, my, uh, my car 
and I just I could barely move. I was eating a, I was eating a supermax actually, which was strange. I was in I was in Galway. It's kind of right of passage. And of I was eating a super, and I was like, yeah, boys, I'm kind of dead. Like you know, I'm I'm destroyed, and I've 45 miles to go, and it's it's getting dark, you know, and I was like. I'm not coming up here like I'm not. It's the same same story. I'm not flying all the way over to Africa to come 300 meters short. I'm not coming all the way up to to Connemara after telling all my friends and all of everybody. You know, I'm going to go up and I'm going to run this hundred mile race. But I had actually nothing to do with any of them at the time. It had nothing to do with how any of them felt because just as I had thought about fighting, when I'm in the ring, that's that's me and that's not for anybody else and nobody can even if I get knocked unconscious or I get my hand raised at the end of this nobody's going to be able to take it away from me because I'm the man in the arena you know I'm mm. the guy who's in doing these things so at mile 55 I just decided yeah we're just going to put one foot in front of the other and that's the only way and we, we me and me and Mark talk, talked to each other we had to separate because I actually wasn't even able to run anymore I had to walk I had to walk 45 miles which is horrific uh, like mm. i'd never wish it upon anybody and I, I i was talking to mark and i said mark like you know this is this is what we talked about man like you know it's one foot in front of the other and time those are the two things that are going to get you across the line is time and putting one foot in front of the other in that time and that's what i did and i finished it in 28 hours and um, i was two hours shy of the of the cutoff point and yeah, it's still to this day the most pain I've ever been in. I'd say, uh, like I, I I I was in an unimaginable pain, and like um, I I wouldn't even want anybody to feel it for like a second. And like and I like you're talking about the background I had now in Thai boxing, where like you know mm-hmm. you're getting elbows slapped across your face, you're getting legs, you know your legs are getting okay. chopped off. You know, you're you're going shin to shin bone, you know, as hard as you can sometimes, you know, and, and I still hadn't a comparable pain to describe to people how I was in, you know, everything hurt, as in parts of me that I never, my hair hurt because I was wearing a hat and I had like, I had, I had my hat on my head and whatever way it was rubbing, my hair actually hurt, everything, every inch of me. And um, then I, um, to be honest with you, I kind of completely fell off. From tight from from running after that, I I I was so badly injured after it that it took me about it took it took me a long time to like even be able to like run even a hundred meters. Jesus! And then what made you go go back to it again after all that after that ordeal after walking forty five miles in unimaginable pain? Like what made you go back? The timeline for people like that was August 2018, right? And um, not that long ago. yeah, no, it's not that long ago, like you know what I mean. And like just thinking about all the things that I've done in between, it's been madness, like you know. And um, I, I really like completely and utterly, it was like a rerun of the marathon. It was like I was like, this was supposed to, you know, this was supposed to give me something like that I could grab onto, you know, that I could hold on to, you know what I mean. And I in that period, that was August 2018, and from, from like the 10th of August, when I finished up that race, to the 31st of December, I think I actually hit one of the darkest periods in my life, like, I was drinking so much, I think I was just like, there was a subconscious part of me that was just like, 
you know, I'm after running a hundred miles, like, you know what I mean? I'm able to do whatever the fuck I want to do, like, you know, mm. and I and I didn't uh, I didn't uh I didn't give two thoughts about it. Like I just sat back and it was just absolute complacency, like, you know, I was sitting back on my laurels of, you know, I'm just after running this hundred mile race, like, you know what I mean? And 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 that was it. And I ended up like drinking an awful lot in that period of time. And like, it's, you know, it's coming into winter time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like the weather is kind of, I suppose, um, not really conducive to, uh, to getting out and running and doing all of these things that are tough and they're hard. So I completely fell off. And then I remember waking up on the 1st of January, 2019. And I was just like, um, I have been I've been underplaying it a lot in this um, in this uh, talk, but like during those times, like I I contemplated my own life a uh, number of times. I you know I really uh, wasn't in good mental places a lot of those times, mm. and it kind of came to the point on the first of January where I was like, you know, I'm not going to see the first of January 2020 if I don't change my life, you know, if I don't get it on on track, and I remember like thinking to myself like you know all of the times that i had asked like the universe i had asked the outside world to solve my problems for me you know and mm-hmm. and uh whether it be you know climbing kilimanjaro like to to give me some semblance of like you know importance about myself or mm-hmm. you know getting my hand raised in a thigh boxing ring or going off and running marathons 100 mile runs it was like oh yeah I, uh, I, I had always been searching for something on the outside that was going to um that was going to, you know, make me me, or it was going to give me some bit of self-worth. And I was like, why, you know, why do you want to keep going? Not, not how anymore, not how are we going to, you know, how are we going to change? How are we going to get fit? How are we going to do these things? How are we going to run this race or whatever? I was asking myself, why, like, you know, why do you want to keep going? If you're, if you're constantly, if you're constantly thinking on one hand that you've got this, you've got something inside you that's worth sharing and you've got something inside you that's like, that could do great things. And then there's the other side of you that is like, you know, doesn't give a shit and takes the easy way out and mm-hmm. doesn't allow this side of you to stay very long. Why do you want to, to, to keep trying to find this guy, to keep trying to find the guy that can do great things and the guy that can, you know, that can, that can persevere and persist and be resilient. And I, I said, I kind of said about answering that question, really, you know, I, yeah. like, I, I, um, I met with Mark, the same guy who had run the Connemara uh, 100 with me. Mm. He actually finished before me. Um, and he, um, he said to me, oh, I, I, you know, he, had, he had since ran another 100 miler in Wicklow in December of that year. And I was like, you know, I, I, the way my mind was working back then was like, how fucking dare he? How dare he? go off and run an ultra marathon and not tell me about it, do you know, yeah. and not tell, not let me, I was like, I was the one who let him know about Connemara. And then I was like, right, that was the start really of that day. I, I, I like when I, when I said that to myself, right. I remember talking to him, I met him outside work. We had, we had since started working together. I met him outside work and I, and he was actually running, he was running home. And I, I, uh, I, I stopped him and, and he said, oh yeah, like, you know, I, I, um, I'm after signing up for a 200 mile run, a 200 mile run in the UK. And I was like, fucking hell. And I thought, and, and straight away I said, I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. I, and like, he looked at me now, like, as in he was looking nearly through me. He was like, 
he he the skeptical look on his face was just it's like I can replicate it right now in my mind's eye and mm. I like and he was dead right because like I was like I was after gaining a lot of weight since the 100 mile run I was puffy faced from alcohol my face was red and puffy from drinking so much in the last three months I was not in a shape I'd look like you know I didn't look like a guy who could fucking run out of the cinema let alone yeah. run 200 miles but I thought to myself then when I left that conversation I was like he he's after running this 100 mile race in Wicklow and he didn't tell me about that and now he's after signing up for this 200 mile run and he's only telling me there now that he's going to run off this and, and how dare he and right then and there man I got into my car and I thought on the way home and I was like it's not it's not his responsibility man it's not mm. Mark's responsibility you know to fucking hold my hand and tell me about all of these things and tell me how to live and tell me you know that he's doing all these things that's him living his own life and that's exactly what you have to do from now on. From this actual moment, you have to take accountability and responsibility for your life. I was blaming my bosses and I was blaming my employer who was giving me money. I was blaming him for how disillusioned I was with my job and how unhappy I was in my position. And like, you know, I was, I had a company car, I had a company phone, I had everything paid for, I had I was earning fucking thousands of euro a month and I was I I had the audacity to blame my boss who was giving me the job and giving me every opportunity to earn money. Mm. I was blaming him for the way I was the way I was feeling about it. And people will will if they listen to this podcast now would kind of think, Do you know what? I've actually been fucking blaming my boss for how fucking bad mm. I feel about my job as well. And if 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 there's anybody listening to this podcast right now. And I promise you, right? Like, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spell out one thing. This is a kind of a, a, an offset of this is a soliloquy of the main drama that I'm talking about here. And it is absolutely improbable that you even exist right now. It's improbable one that life exists on this planet, right? In the first place, it, we are in this perfect round planet within this solar system that is just right for life if there was anything different about planet earth we wouldn't be here hmm. we wouldn't have water we wouldn't have the chemical reactions that are necessary for life to to happen if we were just a small bit different to where we are now so that makes life in general improbable and then out of the trillions upon trillions of chances for you to be conceived you were conceived and you were brought into this world, right? And all of those possible people that could have been before or after you didn't get the opportunity to live their lives, mm. right? So if you're in a job and you're working every single day of the week in this job that you fucking hate, life is too short and life is too precious and life is too improbable for you to be there anymore. And, and like, I understand people have families and they have this and that and the other thing. What I say to people is, if you are unhappy, at least think of ways and measures that you could take to change that up and even to change your perspective. You might not even need to quit your job because I hear that all the time from people. I'll quit your job and do this and do all that kind of stuff. Don't do that. straight. You know what I mean? Because that's not how life really works. Like how life works is you have to think about your actual life as an entirety. You can't just think about your job being one thing, your family being another. It's mm. everything is encompassing. What I say to people is 
you could even change your perspective. You could even change how you think about your job and it will give you better satisfaction and it will give you better happiness. You don't even need to change job. But what I say to people is it's absolutely, it's just, it's, it's, up, to, it's up to you. It's your, it's your responsibility. And it's, it, I say this to people that want to get help with their mental health. It is your responsibility. Your mental health is your responsibility. The ability for you to seek help and the ability for you to gain resilience is your responsibility. And that's what, what I think people have a problem with sometimes is they will take all of their entitlements, but they won't actually feel their responsibilities. And mm. when I heard about this 200 mile race and the first thing I was saying to myself was, the fucker, like, you know, coming off, you know, doing his fucking mar- his ultra marathon in December and then going off and doing his, his um, 200 mile run and not saying a word to me. And, I, and I, then I thought, yeah, you're being absurd. You're being absurd. Like you're ta- you're talking like somebody who's just like you know, like I I'm not I'm not capable of running my own life and taking care of my own life and taking care of myself. That's what I was saying in that mm. moment. And as soon as I let go of the blame on on everybody else, on anybody else, there was nobody that I could blame for anything in my life. Um. I, I, then I I I had such control and such freedom. And such freedom to do the things that I wanted to do. And when I, when I thought about it, you know, oh, I've got a 200 mile run to, to run. And like, I have, I worked, I worked six days a week at the time. And I worked about 55 hours a week. And I was like, okay, I work 55 hours a week, six days a week. How am I going to train for this thing? It's like, oh, you're going to get up at five o'clock in the morning. Or you're going to get up at half four in the morning. Because running is a time intensive sport it's a time like ultra running because you have to run for long periods of time you have to run for for many hours so i said yeah like that's your responsibility now you're after taking on this challenge to run this 200 mile run mm. that's your responsibility and when i took that on board it was like one of the most freeing things i've ever experienced in my life when i just took control of who i was what i wanted to do everything i quit my job three months later I, you know, so that I could, I could focus on this, this, this run. I had saved up enough money that I could just, you know, that I was able to like live on, on, off of my savings and that I was able to just, you know, give it a whack. Like, you know, I was just like, yeah. life's, life's too short. Life's too improbable uh, for me to give, you know, for me to do something that I fucking hated, you know? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, then I went on to, and, and then obviously I trained for the 200 miles then um, for, for the next couple of months. That's mad, absolutely mad. And then, how did that race go? <laughs> I there was only there was me and five other people, uh, myself, Mark, and four other people that ran it. And uh, I was actually the only one who finished. Um, I I was only the second person in the history of the race to actually finish within the sixty-hour time limit. Right. Um, I was the first finisher since twenty sixteen. Um, so like. It was a success, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 yeah, the the run itself, like, is um, like it's all strange because, like, you know, it's 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 all it's over a year ago now, you know, since I did it, and and in that time, I've ran so many different things and done so many different things since then. But that what really, um, what I really look back upon in that time was not like me finishing up a two hundred mile race. It was like. I had the bravery to follow my own plan. 
mm. and I had the bravery to I had the bravery to follow my own race. And there was a time when I was 22 miles behind everyone else. I was I was I was running my own race and and the way that I thought that I was going to be able to finish it, you know, and I I was so far behind that it could have been very very easy for me to abandon this kind of preset plan that I had in my mind and just kind of go okay we need to catch up with these lads yeah um you fast forward then about about eighteen hours and I'm I'm on my own there's nobody else left running I'm 136 miles into it and I'm and I'm I'm the only one that's left and wow. I have I have 64 miles left in a 200 mile race. And there's nobody else then. There's no other. I could have. I could have stopped running, and I would have been. I would have ran the most out of everybody. Mm. If I started. If I if I stopped 140 miles in, I would have ran more than anybody else, and I would have been the quote unquote kind of like the best finisher or the or the best did DNF the best did not finish of that year of that year. Yeah. But I was like, I don't. That's not what I'm here for. You know, I'm here to see how the last couple of months and how I have changed my mindset, how that's going to actually manifest itself. Because I say this to people all the time, I'm actually not really built for running. And I'm not like really, you know, I'm not your, I wouldn't be your typical ultramarathon runner. And I'm not even a very fast runner either. Like, you know, I, I, um, it's just, I literally had it in my mind that I knew how to, I knew how, how to, to talk to myself. And I knew how to finish and I knew how to keep that in my mind at all times, even when shit got real at the end yeah. and I was really hurting. It was just, I was able to keep that in my mind that I was able to keep going, you know, and, and the race itself was madness. Like. That's insane. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up now in the next couple of minutes just because due to time. But I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to ask the end because I'd love to do a part two of this because I definitely think, like you said, there's so much happened since that race and I'd love to do a part two down in the next couple of months. Um, what advice would you give so to someone who wants to get into, let's say, even marathon running or running in general and even maybe the ultra marathon running, what would you advise, let's say, a teenager watching this now, what would you advise they start? Where would you advise they start? Eat up as much information as you can. And, and that's, that's what I always like, cause I was saying to you at the start, like, you know, I didn't have the information when I was, when I was 16, 17, it was like mm. protein powder had kind of just come on the mainstream, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just come on, you know, I, I was just like, you know, this is 11 years ago and I was like 11, 12 years ago. Oh Jesus, nearly 13 years ago now. And <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, it's like, I, I, um, I didn't have the info, man. And that like, that got me injured. It got me hurt it got you know it got me you know sapped of all energy at times what i say to people is find the people that have the knowledge right but what the thing about the fitness industry especially and you know anything to do with exercise um these days is you're going to get so many contradictory um advice so much contradictory advice so yeah. what i'd say is um try and find the right source so like people that run like even me and this is actually like this is how, how how you know um how i feel about it is even me what i say is is what i do is what i what works for me yeah. not necessarily what's going to work for anyone else so i say to people is find yourself a good 
coach if you want to take it seriously. If you want to just run and you want to just get out and go for a run, what I'd say to people is try and make it interesting. Um, you know, just a lot of people go like, oh, I'm going to run there now. And then they do the same loop around their town every single day or every single time they do it. Make it interesting. Go out in the weekend there and fucking go off into uh, some trail or something somewhere around the place. You're never too far from a trail in Ireland. And if you have a car or whatever the case may be, drive out somewhere, make it interesting. If you're a teenager, try and fucking get your brother or somebody else involved that can drive you out there, whatever the case may be, and do it together. Because when you run together, now, I, I, I like running on my own. That's just the way I am or whatever the case may be. But I've, I've often ran with people loads of times. And it's very, very, it's a good way to just have a chat almost forget what you're doing and you know just enjoy this kind of um community you know enjoy the kind of community so get involved with people get people involved and and have some fun with it like you know there's my my advice is very very vague in terms of running because i feel like anybody can do it anybody should do it you know um what i would say to people as well is don't try and put the horse before you know the cart, cart before the horse because like people will be like, oh, I, I don't run at all. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sign up for a marathon there in four months' time. You're like, that sounds so rich coming from me, you know. <laughs> After like you know, this six-week training block for a 100-mile run. But it will, it, it, it will foster a better relationship with the sport if you actually mm. give yourself the time and be patient and, and do, those, do the things properly, like, you know. Um, it sounds so hypocritical, I know, but like, uh, it's it's one thing that I do say to people is like, you know, don't try and conquer the world in one day. Like, you know, try and um, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. Because I'm telling you, right? People will say, "Oh, I want to run a marathon," or "I want to do this and that and the other thing." I promise you, and I and this is like one of the most important things I'll say about running is when you come to the end of the marathon, right, and you finish that marathon you'll actually realize that the most important time was the time you took to actually train for it. Mm. And that's the most important thing. You, you're, you're running the marathon for three, four, five hours. Like you're going to be training for for weeks and months. Mm. So you're, the actual, the ability for your body to assimilate or your mind to assimilate the information it's getting from training is going to be far, far easier and far better if you're talking about the time you actually take the train for it, when you finish it, it's going to be a great achievement you, and it's going to be fantastic. Whether it be your first 10 K, your first 10 miles, half marathon, marathon, whatever the case may be, the finish of that will be, it will be great. But what will really stand out to you is the person you were before you started training for this thing in terms of your both your mind and your body will change. You know what I mean? And if you really sit with that and you really, think through all the times where you couldn't have been arsed getting off the couch but you did and you did and you and you laced up your runners and you went out for that run all of those times you look back on and that's those are the nuggets those are the important times not the crossing the lane getting the medal wrapped around your neck that's on, that's not really that important what's important is the times when nobody was watching you you still got out and you still laced up your runners and still got out and that's that's the that's the thing that you will be able to foster in yourself. That's amazing. Thank you very much for your time, Connor. I really, really do appreciate it. There's an amazing amount of knowledge in that. And to anyone who did any questions, feel free. I'll have all Connor's socials linked down below. But thank you very, very much for all your time. Appreciate it. And uh, hope we get to talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. You have a good day.